Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. I am Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor. Dave Kale uh, is running a little late here this evening, um, but we're hoping he can join us later. But meanwhile, we are joined not only by Marie Prosser, one of our uh, uh, one of our, our, our normal uh, head writers here, who is uh, who, who so often. Uh, helps by joining us, um, but also by a special guest here this evening, Philip Menzies. Philip has been our uh, our, our head composer uh, for the Silm Film Project. He's been doing wonderful work for the score uh, for the Silm Film Project um, for many, many years now. Um, and tonight is going to be uh, one of the, one of our, our, our special, um, special sessions that we do sort of in the middle of the season where we're going to because uh, we're still fairly early on. We just did, well, it was three, right? We just did episode three last time, right? So we've discussed our way through three episodes of our 13-episode season. But now we're going to take a break tonight from the discussion of the episodes, and we're going to talk about the score. Um, so this is the, so we're going to do two separate sessions on the score during season six. The second one, of course, is when we get to hear all of the wonderful compositions and performances and things uh, that are going to go to make up. And Phil's going to walk us through uh, the score and we're going to be hearing lots of music and stuff like that. Tonight is the session where we kind of talk through what needs to happen, right? This is kind of our brainstorming session. um, And we're going to be looking at commissions that we have for him, things that have already come up during our discussions where we're like, okay, we, we're going to need uh, some new themes for this. We're, we, we really want to, and you know, places in the story that we've already identified um, where the interaction of the music with the story is going to be really essential. Um, so, and then, so we'll, we'll talk about some of those with Philip and think about what are some of the what are some of the ways in which we might approach this musically? What are some of the, the kind of, you know, factors and elements involved there? Uh, so that's going to be a really fun session. And of course, as an extra bonus, oh, uh, apology. Um, we're also joined by my puppy, Pixie, who insists on sitting on my lap. So I apologize and hope she won't be too disruptive. Anyway, um, we also have another like sort of special bonus here this evening, uh, which is that uh, Philip is going to also give us a little bit of a walkthrough very recently, of course. Uh, the score for season one of the Rings of Power show has dropped, um, uh, composed by Bear McCreary with some Howard Shore in there as well. And... Um, uh, Philip is going to uh, uh, do a little bit of a breakdown uh, of the Rings of Power score as well to kind of help us understand what's uh, what's going on and what we're listening to uh, in the in the score and see uh, what uh, his analysis of the score can tell us. So we're um, I'm I'm going to be really excited to start with that first. Just a few quick announcements. We want to talk about. Oop. Hang on. There we go. There's the announcements. I want to talk about our upcoming moots. We are beginning to approach Mountain Moot, which is on September 24th in just a few weeks in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so there's still lots of time to sign up for that. Okay, not lots of time. Decreasing amounts of time. Of course, that's true of all of them technically, but uh, that one is coming up fairly soon uh, in Denver. Uh, so looking forward to that. Um, and then Middle Moot and New England Moot, both in October on the 8th and 15th. Uh, of October in Kansas City and here here in Derry, New Hampshire, uh, respectively. Then SoCal Moot, November 5th in Carlsbad, California. By the way, New England Moot, October 15th, of course, turns out to be also the weekend right after the finale of The Rings of Power Season 1 is going to be dropping. Uh, so we're also looking to be connecting like a finale launch party and some uh, some stuff like that attached to the moot as well, which should be fun. And then, of course, 
Philip, January 27th to 29th, down in uh, in your part of the globe, finally, uh, in Australia. Yes. Um, tell me how you pronounce the name of that city. Brisbane. Brisbane. There we go. Yep, that's in, right. There's no Bane. There's no, there's there's no, no Bane. Bane that we have no to wa- worry about. That's it's good. Bris- Brisbane. It's much friendlier, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, here we go. So down in Brisbane, Australia on January 27th, 29th, Osmoot, my first ever trip to Australia. I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be great fun going down there and connecting with folks down there. So, um, uh, anyway, to meeting you. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yep. I've already registered, got, got my paper registered as well. <laughs> Fantastic. So you, you're going to, you're going to give a presentation there too? Yeah, yeah, oh, good, yeah, that's right. Good. I'm so glad. To walk, walk, walk through the first part of the anal interlay. Nice, nice. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Looking forward to that. Okay. Um, and also, of course, yes, my new book uh, is coming and here and not here at the same time. Of course, I'm publishing my book progressively. So uh, if you go to signumuniversity.org slash press right now, um, you can find the link where you can pre-order my book. And when you pre-order it, then you'll be uh, signed up to be getting the chapters as I drop them. Um, and we can, um, um, so that's going to be, uh, that's going to be, uh, that whole process is going to be a lot of fun. We're just sort of starting that up. Uh, and I think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, yes. And Alana, who's hosting Osmoot is here with us this evening. Alana is uh, on the film film team as well. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be some, some, some fun film film times down there uh, in, uh, in Brisbane in January. So, all right. Um, now, so Phil, tell us, Tell us some of your observations uh, from the uh, Rings of Power music. Um, yeah, so um, I suppose it's uh, first started with the with the trailers when when yeah. when the trailers dropped. That was the first music that we got. Some some of the trailer music I felt was was just generic trailer music, particularly the mm-hmm. one with the uh, with the meteor streaking across the sky, had a lot mm-hmm. of synthesizers in it, and I thought that's just not going to appear in the show at all. Right, right. Um, the very first trailer that dropped, I thought it was a very good choice of having the first two notes being, um, which is the significant beginning of the ring theme so rings of power that semitone rise was it was a sure indication um that this is what we were going going to going to see um the other things i'm a very i i respond to what i hear very quickly Mm -hmm. um and so and and so when things sound familiar to me musically i can link it i link it to something that that i know immediately so that that was why that semitone rise hit me for the very first opening notes there the next thing that hit me was um of course the the trailer that begins with the uh the familiar lord of the rings music and shows uh the scene of valinor and the trees Mm -hmm. um and of course the familiar view of galadriel's eyes only Mm -hmm. uh, that we that we had seen in, in the trilogy um and the uh and the and so the music we got uh, was the uh, was was familiar Lord of the Rings music, but actually Rivendell music. Oh. That was actually a surprise to me. The um, the ba da 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 da. Yes. Um, that is and, Rivendell. It's and that's the starting point point of the the Harfoot this wandering day song. 
Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. I was, I was, I have a feeling that that's where that's where the Wandering Day song came from. Really, um, uh, it it just fit, it just fits in um, so 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 well. Um, I can't I can't quite get get the note in 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 my head at the, at mm-hmm. this moment. But the yeah. but the uh, but, but the da, 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 I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, slight you for not being able to play on the piano from by ear the song you've just heard on the no, soundtrack no, a few times. Not, so yeah, I'm not that kind of piano player either. I need music, music in front of me, so I can sit down and nut it out and write it out in music, and I can play it fine. Um, but yes, the wandering day that da 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 is the is is the yeah is is the is is the coming down bit of the da 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 da. That's really um, interesting. So, so yeah, the, I'm finding this a lot with with uh, TV and TV music at the moment that they're they're taking little little grabs of familiar themes and working it into its own thing. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. feel that, that that that's that that's it sounds like that's where this wandering day came from. But of course, when you get this wandering day in the soundtrack it's in a major key and it's much brighter like in the ah. in, in 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 this in this trailer it's in a minor key so it's it it has a darker feel to it um but but the trailer is a much much more lighter um uh, much more lighter so the the the, the track this the wandering day is yeah. much much yeah. lighter being being in a major yes. key yeah. um yeah I, I just had a question though when the like why choose the Rivendell music? Because we're not going to get Rivendell. It could be a case of this is just a just a piece of music that resonates with the audience in a significant way. And as soon as everyone heard that, they said, "Oh, I know that music," but not necessarily registering that it is associated with Rivendell. It's also interested that that uh, that, that that motif that da 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 da. da is actually listed by Howard Shore as uh, indicating weakness and redemption. Hmm. Interesting. And indicating indicating that that's that's the end of the elves' time in Middle Earth. Right. 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 Um, doubly interesting that that would yeah. be associated then with the Harfoots. So, okay. So of course I saw the first two episodes in New York two days ago. Um, and I'm going to try not to do this too often during the show to do the like, mm. that makes me think of something, but I can't tell you what it is thing, um, which I'm, try- I'm, t- I'm trying to be good. I'm really trying to be good. But I'll just say this, Phil. Mm-hmm. There were several times in the first two episodes um, where there were, and I'm, I'm sure there were more than I noticed, but just like on a first viewing, there were several places in the first two episodes where they were clearly making overt references to the mm. Jackson films. I mean, of course it's, they're yes. dealing with Tolkien stuff all the way through, but there are also several times when they were really um, placing themselves in relationship with uh, the Lord of the Rings film, including one place where there's actually like a, um, uh, a line quoted um, mm. out of context in a way that I found really funny. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so like there, there are some definite, there are several points, like two or three places mm, in particular mm. where it was like just jumping out at you if you knew the original films at all. Um, and so Phil, what I'm going to be interested in, but of course, like, I don't know. Um, I neither know the Howard Shore 
score like you do, nor am I so attuned to the music. I have to confess that although, I mean, obviously the music um, affects me a lot, right? I mean, you know, I am, I'm, I know that I am moved by the music in lots of ways, but I don't Mm -hmm. consciously Mm -hmm. pay attention to it. Usually it's, it's, it's going to be like the third or fourth thing normally that I'm paying attention to myself. So uh, therefore, in in other words, I am putty in the hands of the composer because I am just being like, you know, manipulated in all these ways that I'm totally unaware of, right? By, By the score. But anyway, so my point is what I'll be really interested to see is if you're, um, if you feel that the, um, uh, if you feel that the the, if you hear references um, mm. to the to the, you know like, s- some of these references that you're hearing, um, how you see that interacting with what's actually going on in the show mm. and places mm. where the show is making links back or or even kind yes. of separating itself from the other in different ways. Um, I'll, I'll be really interested to hear what to to, to kind of come back mm. to that after after you've seen it. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, we should do a. We should do a. You know what we should do, Philip? What? What we should do is that Maggie and I should have you on uh, uh, other minds and hands, and we should do when the when the season's over, right? So that whenever mm-hmm. when, when we've all seen the whole thing, um, and do a kind of a score breakdown from from that point of view, right now that we, once we've seen it, that'd be really fun. Um, sure. But anyway, yeah. So there's there's a bunch mm. of there, there, there's a bunch of connections. So in one way, it doesn't surprise mm. me that not only are they making references, but that they're doing it. it like for instance, I wouldn't have I wouldn't expect. And I think I would have noticed, maybe even I would have noticed, um, if they had done like a a musical reference to the like concerning Hobbit's theme, right? Mm, um, mm, like when mm. we're when we're seeing the Harfoot village and everything. Um, so in some ways, it doesn't surprise me that a that there's a reference, and b that the reference seems in some way kind of like mishmashed, uh, yes. right? Uh, I, yeah. And I suspect that there's some. I suspect that they're being clever <laughs> there, mm-hmm. but in ways that, again, I haven't yet really been equipped to notice yet. So um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, cool. So anyway, but sorry, keep going. You were also yep. saying some, something about the Lothlorien theme that you were noticing. Yes. Yes. So in the, in the trailer, which has the, uh, the elf children running beside the stream. Yeah. Um, the music comes in and it's a female voice singing and they sing, this note and that note is the ve- and that note that's being sung by a female choir is the very first note in the Lord of the Rings trilogy because the 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 the, the, the opening titles begin with the Lothlorien theme mm. so i can see i can actually understand how they've linked and that that actually morphs into what i now know as galadriel's theme at the moment i didn't know that that was galadriel's theme um, and I think they use that note on purpose to make that link um, because you would expect it to, to go. That is how it starts. So when you hear that note, you're expecting that, um, that to follow. But instead we get, which is the beginning of Galadriel's. And we've got the same. We've we've got one sort of uh, element, um, uh, a, a, a little little piece of music there, um, which which sort of has a similar form and ends on the same note 
as the as the Lothlorien theme. So I think I, I can see how how the composer Bear McCreary has sort of said, okay, let's backward engineer the Lothlorien theme, which you associate with Galadriel, and uh, this is this is how it might have been for her when she was a different person. And right. so, but there are some similarities there. Yeah. Um, the in- interesting thing is, is Galadriel's theme just goes. In the trailer, they chose to start it, start it with. So they added that note in the beginning. And I think that mm. was purely to get us focused on, hey, that's a familiar Lord of the Rings to, sound. To, to the opening Lothlorien theme. And, yeah, fascinating. And, with, fascinating. and And with Galadriel as well. And so, uh, that's I so many things I want to say in response to that and should not. <laughs> um, but so, yes, yeah, let me just say, I think you're on to something there, Philip. I think there's yeah. definitely some su- some substance behind that. And I yeah. will yeah. salve my impatience by saying a cryptic thing to you, Marie. Um, uh, we saw the children running along that stream in a trailer. Did you notice the hair color of one or two of those children? Just saying. Um, But okay. Anyway, moving on (laughs) from talking about things I'm not supposed to talk about. Um, Anyway, yep. So so that was just the things that, that hit me as being familiar. Um, and link yep. me back immediately to the to what had previously been done by by Howard Shaw. Yeah. Um, in, in in going back to the trailers after the soundtrack was released, I can tell that that a lot of the music in the in the uh, trailers were are from the soundtrack itself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that so so once again, it takes you. Oh, I'm really very suspicious when I hear generic trailer music, um, right. and right. it doesn't it doesn't really gel for me. Um, I I I want trailers to give me a musical glimpse of the of the show as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Look, that, but, but that's fantastic. They've done, they've done a lot of, jo- a good, lot of good work in putting those trailers together um, musically. Mm-hmm. I felt um, good. So, so yeah, that, that, that was just, that was just my opening, opening um, uh, observations of the, of the trailers. Um, of course, the soundtrack was released last weekend, um, so I've had it on pretty much nonstop. Um, uh, listening to it uh, in in that time, um, we got the first the first um, glimpse of that at Comic Con. Of course, I wasn't a Comic Con, but I did manage to see a video of the of uh, Bear McCreary. Yep, the live performance, um, which was which was really good. So that live performance featured uh, Galadriel's theme, um, and in the interview afterwards with him the first thing he said was about the relationship of his score with what Howard Shaw had done previously. Mm-hmm. And I must say, that's a film film first. This is, we're going to have a few film film first today, <laughs> <laughs> musically. That's what I said right in the beginning. Any, any continuation of Tolkien's, Tolkien's uh, uh, stories in adaptation really needed to, to, to continue the work that Howard Shaw had, had begun. Yeah, to really to really relate to that. I mean, it's it's interesting because, of course, a lot of people, I th- you know, I mean, of course, I mean, I, as you know, Philip, you're in the, you know, 
you are in you are in a wonderful minority, right? You know, so many people are are much more focused on the visuals and not paying so close attention to the music, um, and so a lot of people have been really glad, like, oh, I'm really glad John Howe is working on this project as it, you know, it sort of really helps with the, you know, the the, the visual consistency mm. and everything and that it's it's still going to be, you know, feel in some ways rooted to the, you know, the sort of the aesthetic that we're familiar with. Um, but I think you're right. At least as important as that is the uh, is the connection. And the fact that Bear mm. McCreary, you know, so like they... So it, it was great to have John Howe. So like John Howe himself is like the living continuity, right, between... This mm. project and the other project, um, and uh, I thought it was funny before they announced that John Howe was involved. You know, and people were like, "The art just looks like it's ripping off John Howe." <laughs> like, yeah, well, they're not wrong, uh, but, but anyway. Um, uh, but I agree that, that so it's really interesting to see. You know, but they they brought in a new composer. I mean, you know, Howard Shore was involved some, but they brought in a new composer. Um, mm, mm. And really interesting to see that. Yeah, Philip, as you said, like he does share your convictions. That uh, mm, um, mm, mm. and let me just say, I think there are several places where we can see uh, the Rings of Power show following the wisdom that we have laid down before them here at some film. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm just, it's, it's all been worth it. You know, that we could, you know, has. we can, we can, we can, uh, you know, pave the way for those who come after here, you know, blaze the trail. Um, all right, but you were uh, you were you were wanting to mention, your, and this is of course awesome for folks just in that part of the world. Uh, you were you were, you recognize mm. one of their one of their locations. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, in in an earlier podcast, I can't remember which one it was. You said that you didn't have much idea of the Halfwood story because you didn't know yes. where in Middle Earth it was actually taking place. And so, when I saw this trailer, and it and it ended, it was this is the Wandering Day trailer, and it ends yeah. with the Halfwoods walking down this grassy slope. I looked at that and said. I recognise this place because I've actually been there in the north, been to this location in the North Island in New Zealand. And it's a place called Denise Bluffs in the Waitomo area, which is on the west, on sort of on the, on, on the western coast. And it's all limestone. It's all limestone. Uh, uh, and the reason, and they've chosen it because of these really spectacular limestone cliffs there. So, um, it, when, when you go to New Zealand, if you if you book in for a holiday and say, "Look, I want to do a Lord Lord of the Rings stuff," they'll obviously mm-hmm. they'll book you into uh, Hobbiton at Matamata. Uh, they'll book you into a uh, to a uh, Rings tour in Wellington because there are numerous filming locations in the Wellington area. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's it's like the the travel industry is not hooked in with what's there so there's a whole lot of stuff i went and found a whole lot of filming locations on my own which are just on public land you can just view them um and but this one as i said was already a filming location and i'm interested to know whether any of the viewers can actually recognize which part of the move previous movies this was had this as the filming location um uh but after after it was a filming location, the owners of the property um, made it into a tourist attraction. Um, so they so they hold tours. It was really friendly. Um, uh, 
just a husband and wife um, and they, they, they run tours around um, and take you to all the significant filming locations. And it got to end, um, I don't know if you've gone on to the next, the next slide, which actually reveals where it was, yes. um, but a place, a place called Hairy Feet Waitomo is what they've called themselves. <laughs> so, and you can see from the photos, does anyone recognise uh so which movie and which which location this the was? On the bottom left, it looks like Fellowship of the Ring. Is that where they like uh, hid? Is that where they hid from the Nazgul under the bank? No, it look, looks the no, no, look that's like that. no. They a little bit. That's that's in that's in Wellington in Victoria Park. Park. Okay. Um, no, this was a Hobbit movie location. All these photos are in this oh. one location, and the one on the bottom right, I think, is a dead giveaway because you can get that. Uh, I'm doing the same thing as Bilbo here, <laughs> right. uh, from exactly right. the second the same camera angle. Um, right, right. It's the Troll Shores. Right. To where they filmed the troll shores so so those bluffs uh were where the ruined uh farmhouse uh was that then the trolls that the trolls had eaten the farmer um and uh the the one on the bottom left is where the wargs attacked them and radagast ah so okay. so you have the the opening of the cave the opening of the trolls cave um and the attack uh by the wargs in that bit of the forest um right, right. is all is 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 all there so so look yeah from from my own experience um they're filming where the troll shores was filmed in the in an unexpected journey it's not a guarantee um but it may be an indication that this is what this is roughly where in, in middle earth the the halfwood story is taking place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool anyway so that was just an aside <laughs> interesting interesting okay so you were looking at the soundtrack um uh, That's right. The, uh, yeah, the, the the soundtrack slide here. Um, so, what were some of the things you're saying? There are some uh, direct outtake uh, ones and individual tracks and uh, and things. So, what were the things that you were noticing here? So, this is another film film first. Okay, in the in the and and just by looking at it, they've done exactly what I've done with the music. So so. If, if if you're having a look at the at the at the, the 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 track list, and you want to know what's the best thing for me to listen to, so that I can get a feel of what a person what a particular person's theme sounds like, well, the really simple thing is if it starts with a name of a person or a place, then that track is a clear statement of that person or that place's theme. Right. So Galadriel, Kazadum, Nori Brandyfoot. The Stranger, Numenor, Sauron, Valinor—they're all very clear, uh, self-contained com- self com- um, statements of the theme. And they, and in an interview, Bear McCurry said that he that that, that he generally did a main theme, um, a sort of a bridge section. It also had an introduction, and it also had sort of an ending. And I've said to you before as a little self-contained piece of music, it has to have all of these things. It has to have an introduction, has to state the theme clearly, some variations, and then it has to have a closing. Um, so, so yeah, if you go through them, uh, Elwyn the Half-Elven, Durin the Fourth, Half-Wood Life, Bronwyn and Arendir, Halbrand, um, then you skip down to Elendil and Isildur. Mm-hmm. They're the main 13 themes, and they're all very strong melodies. Right. Um, so that's another way that that Bear has emulated Howard Shaw um, right. by using strong strong melodies. 
not like Hans Zimmer, who is really good at giving you the feel and the feel of a situation, uh, but but uh, these these are all really strong, recognisable memories. So if you if you spend your time listening to those ones, when you're actually watching the show, and, and so when you're watching the show, you'll hear oh, there's a snippet of, of that person's theme. There's a snippet of another theme as they yep. run together. Yeah. So so the ones in the sort of yellow, greenish colour. Uh, appear to be the tracks that are direct outtakes from the show. Right, right. So so I got down to Valinor and I said, yep, that's a beautiful theme for... And by the way, Valinor in tone sounds very similar to my um to my um to, to one of my elf themes. Uh the mm-hmm. the um sorry I've forgotten the forgotten the name of the of the uh of of the elves. The Noldor, the Teleri, and the Vanya. Yeah. Vanya, right. thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Very similar in tone to the Vanya. Very, very um, uh, coral uh, based, um, beautiful harmonies, uh, very nice and slow. And then so it when seems I that in... it's not only Howard Shore's score that this soundtrack is rooted in. I'm just saying. <laughs> and of course, yeah. I'm just teasing everybody. I'm not actually saying they're stealing from us. I'm, just, I'm not saying. I'm just saying, right, that there, uh, <laughs> there are some similarities here. No, I mean, honestly, what, what, what it does, like, again, nowhere do I actually accuse them of actually copying from us. What, what it does show, um, what I do find fascinating are the ways, I mean, I'm assuming that both Bear McCreary and Philip, as well as like the showrunners and us, are doing totally independent thinking. But that's what makes similarities yeah. among them the more interesting, right? It really mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of uh, shows to me um, that uh, yeah, exactly it's convergent evolution, as Druid's Fire says. Um, that's it right. really shows to me that 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 they're doing that we're doing very similar thinking. And I, I, I'm very, mm. I'm fascinated to see ways where that's, yes. where that's connected. Interesting that yes. it's the Vanyar in particular, right. Who are yeah. like the most Valinorian of all of the Caliquendi, right. In a sense. That's right. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, so, so yeah, all, all the, all the ones in, in green uh, basically appear to be outtakes from the, from, from episodes so, yeah. for instance, the boat, the boat does not get its own theme. I can tell you that straight away. The boat does right. not get its own theme. Uh, that's a combination of, of other themes. And it tells you something very interesting um, about what happens in that scene by linking yeah. the different themes together. Yeah. Um, so uh, then you get down to the uh, number 21, 22, 23 and 24. These are the vocal tracks. Um, which are all quite quite impressive. Um, Noel Wamata was the one that uh, led the led the Comic Con um, presentation. Uh, the one that goes, sorry, which what it was it was. Uh, 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 no, sorry, I missed. It. I had it had it before. Ah, sorry, I've, I've lost it. I haven't am by ear. The da 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 da. Anyway, but that's that's the one that, that led that. Nampat is a very orcish tune, so obviously that's with the with 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 the followers um, of Sauron. The Pleat of the Rocks features Sofia Nombete, uh, who plays Princess Dissa, um, and mm-hmm. of course this Wandering Day uh, vocals by Megan Richards, who plays Poppy Poppy Proudfellow. So they're all they're all songs. Uh, there's a lot of vocal work in all of the tracks, but these I felt were featured songs. 
Um, and yeah, pretty much all, all the rest, apart from the two um, Amazon music exclusives. I don't know why. Um, I don't know what's so special about those tracks um, for them to hold them back so that you can only hear them if you subscribe to Amazon. Um, but pretty much all the rest are, you can hear other uh, those other themes. The first themes uh, listed there, you can hear those themes during those tracks. And there's some quite interesting interesting things to pick up in there. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting. So I could tell you a little bit about um, Gladriel's uh, trajectory um, through the boat and the Sundering Seas uh, mm-hmm. because of the themes that are played within there. Um, do, do, do you want to play hot? Sorry, cold. <laughs> do you want to play cold <laughs> with this? But um, yeah, uh, yeah, uh huh. Yep. Keep going. You're yep, doing yep. great. Um, well, well, yep. I don't, I, and I don't know what was what was revealed in episode in episodes one and two, but mm-hmm. just to give and with the visuals that I've seen, the boat theme starts with the Valinor theme. Um, it's interesting yeah. that you should say that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, that would be so, a fascinating so, observation. <laughs> yes. For someone, for someone who hasn't seen the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So look, but, but I'm really interested with sort of how, how it develops. Um, obviously there's once this further into the series, there's a lot of um, uh, amalgamations of the Numenor theme and of Galadriel's theme. Quite often, they run one into the other, um, such as uh, this is Numenor's theme. And then it'll go straight into just Galadriel's the theme. Galadriel's so theme. Yeah. so yeah. it really shows the the amalgamation of of Galadriel with with Numenor work, working together through throughout the series. Um the 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 one that I sort of am really fascinated by is the very final track where the shadows lie. So the title of that obviously just brings up well Mordor that's Mordor. that's where the shadows lie. Matt yeah. Mordor is where the shadows lie. If you listen very closely, um, you will hear that it's actually made up of Nori Brandyfoot's theme played in a really, really dark way. You're kidding me. I'm not. It is so, Nori. So I'm just Nori saying, Brand- so far, not a lot of people have Nori Brandyfoot in the Who is Sauron pool. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, that's that's a dark horse at, at this stage. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. It is very I, fascinating, and it it didn't it didn't hit me. And this this this, this is how music works for me. Um, and I encourage people to do this. That's why I, that's why I say listen to those tracks where it's just the name of the thing, so that you yeah. get to recognize that theme. Um, and it, and it was only because I was familiar with Nori Brandy, but Brandyfoot's theme that when right. I got to that final track, and this wasn't the first time I listened to it. This was after I'd listened to it quite a few times. So like, oh my god, that's Nori Brandyfoot theme why like and that's the main theme in where the shadows lie 
So she's going into a very dark place at yeah. the at the end of at the end of yeah. season one. And we so, know, wow. I mean, and here I'm speaking. I'm just speaking. I'm speaking from the trailers here, right? Um, mm. And from mm. the trailers, we've seen plenty to show that. Um, Mordor and the like rise of Mordor is going to be you know the the, the establishment of Mordor is going to be one of the one of the themes of season one right I mean that's been we've seen that in the maps that they've shown uh, and some of the stuff that they've revealed um, so that Mordor that again that like we're getting a where the shadows lie thing um, mm. I have been. Well, and I will say, by the way, after watching the first two episodes, I still don't know where it's headed. The the Harfoot mm-hmm. storyline, right? I mean, I, I don't really know. The the uh, soundtrack's going to tell us a lot more than we can guess from you know mm-hmm. by the end of the second episode as to where that's headed. Um, but yeah, that sounds really interesting. Okay, so that's it very is, cool. It is. Um, so the last the, the last little Easter egg that I have gleaned from the whole thing is is um musically to me there is an indication of who the dark lord is aha okay there is there is and this is related to the very first trailer that was released and of course you wouldn't know that until the soundtrack was released because all of the themes are clearly stated in in the sound labeled (laughs) yes and labeled exactly Exactly. Um, so if you listen, if you go back and listen to the, watch that first trailer with the with with the with the wood and the uh, the, the the and the uh, molten metal being poured into the into yeah. the cast yeah, to yeah. form that. Yeah. As I said, it starts with that semitone rise to indicate we're talking about rings. We're talking about the One Ring. Yeah. The music, the music at the first, and while they're quoting the ring verse, the music is just sort of going backwards and forwards between two chords. Bum, 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 bum. One of the themes kicks in as soon as we hear the, the, the lines, one for the Dark Lord on his dark throne. Mm-hmm. One of these themes kicks in at that point of the ring verse. I believe that would be fairly significant. Um, and once again, it's played in a very different way to what it's played in the soundtrack list. Um, and that's the strangest theme. The strangest theme. The strangest theme kicks in. As, yep. As soon as we get, as soon as we get the line one, one for the dark Lord on his dark throne. So it's, what uh, will be most interesting to see about this, Philip? is mm. whether or not they're actually because I you know I believe they've been doing a very great deal of deliberate misdirection mm. through the trailers yes right yes um, and so I'll be really interested to see if they're actually thinking through so far as musical misdirections in this in this way because like, you're right <laughs> exactly. that sounds like an obvious setup right it um, does but uh, but I wonder I wonder mm. I mean mm. I'm still mm. gonna be surprised if the stranger ends up being Sauron, I really mm. am. Um, mm. Mm. But mm. Um, oh, I have have a saying that the music never lies. Um, for those people who are familiar with Star Wars, and most of us are familiar with Star Wars, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry uh, if you haven't watched the Rise of Skywalker, then block your ears now for for, for spoilers. But hidden within Ray's theme, Ray's musical theme is the Emperor's theme. Right. Right. So, yeah, so, so and the, the only thing I would say though is that it is possible that the music could lie in trailers. <laughs> right? It like, is possible. I, yes. I, I, I do agree. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that you're right. 
as far as like in the show itself. That's why I'm going to be so interested to see what mm, you think mm. when you're here. You know, especially now that you know this score really well, when you see the show and you and you see what's got, it's going to be really interesting uh, to yep. to think more about that and talk about that then. Um, mm. Awesome. We should uh, we should move forward to musical commissions, uh, both because we really need to talk about this, and also so that I can stop getting myself into trouble. So, um, yep. <laughs> because it's 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 just, it's one thing to refrain from doing analysis; it's another person to be. It's another thing to be involved in a, an analytical discussion with another person and still mm. abstain from doing analysis. Yep. But um, yep. anyway, yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay. Um, uh, so, our first round here of musical commissions, we had a, an episode where we were in a session where we were talking about magic and how we portray magic. And one of the things we all agreed on, is the music is going to be critical, right? And not mm, only mm. in some obvious cases, that's clear, right? Like when people are singing and magic is happening like that. Okay, yeah, guess what? The music matters. But not just that. There are going to be lots of times when... Because, of course, one of the major issues we were working through is that so often magic in Tolkien is not visible, mm. right? I mean, it's not; it doesn't necessarily have a visual effect. It's like the, the, the assertion of will over the primary world in various ways, right, is kind of what magic is. Um, and that clearly music is one of the ways in which we can convey to people, okay, magic is happening here, right? Mm. Um, mm. Mm. So... Um, and uh, different, uh, uh, so so we want to think about sort of instrumentation for that, um, mm. uh, you know, good and evil, because we're going to have both good and evil magic happening, mostly good, because of course we're focused on Barry mm. Luthien mm. themselves, but obviously we're going to get um, the clearly, well, I say, no, it's not clear at all. Um, clearly the second most important musical moment of this whole season i think is gonna be well gosh there are so many now that i'm thinking it through it's hard to rate them i know isn't it? Um, i know i know but, I'm, but, I'm but i just, just sort of want to just want to talk generally about yeah, rather we'll, 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 let's we'll, talk generally we'll get to the moments we'll, we'll get, get to the specific. moments yeah yeah so so look the the only time that i can the i can think of in the in the Peter Jackson movies where the music indicated that magic was happening was when the times when there was light pouring out of Gandalf's staff had right. the high boys choir, the high boys right. choir with, with that, that yeah. vocalization. That's yeah. really the only time that, that, that I can think that, that they were really overt with, with showing magic in the, in, in the school. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, especially the, uh, um, like the Gandalf shining the light up with the chasing the Nazgul away when Faramir's returning is one that really, really jumps out as an illustration. That's of that. right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, even even when he broke the bridge of Khazad-dûm, there was nothing in the music to indicate that he was exerting power right. at that at right. that point. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so yeah, instrumentation can can be used. Um, I'm, I mean, I have associated certain instruments with certain themes before, so right. I think that 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 is that is a good thing, um, a good a good way to to do it. Um, Tubular bells is always going to be with doom. Um, mm-hmm. um, flutes is always going to be Can associated say, with with Manway. Yeah, I I love that sentence. You know, like that's just an awesome sentence. <laughs> Tubular bells are always going to be associated with doom. Like that's kind of seems like it should be on a t shirt. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Flutes associated with 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 Manway, um, mm-hmm. Glockenspiel mm-hmm. associated with 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 Varda. So mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. whenever whenever you come across those elements, those instruments will come to the fore. Yes. Um, but there's been nothing nothing specifically. The only sort of ethereal magical thing that I've done was for the Silmarils themselves. And that was a very sort of, I think I put lots of echo and reverb into, into that as if the, the light mm-hmm. sort of bouncing around inside of the gems to get, to get across right. that particular idea. But right. obviously that, that shows that there is some kind of magic associated with, with the, the Silmarils and, right. and there is. Um, so, so yeah, apart from, I mean, I mean, yeah, I could hire a boys choir if we, if we needed to. <laughs> no, fortunately uh, film film has an unlimited budget so that's, that's right uh, that's know, right we're not uh, we're, we're not like those poor cash strapped uh prime video productions you know we can we can no. we can we can spend anything we want yeah yeah i haven't got any definite ideas at this time about instrumentation um and how to and how to portray that that magic most of the magic is um is going to happen directly with the characters um um i mean i have dabbled dabbled with modes in the last season um not entirely certain that they will be enough to convey they convey a mood yes rather like modes of moods rather rather than an actual thing happening i mean in terms of instrumentation i mean i'm for the 1960s i mean the the go-to instrument whenever something spooky or out of space was happening was of course the theremin as soon as the theremin played you knew that something weird and unexplained was was happening Um, obviously we don't want to go down that track but maybe that is the sort of thinking that that needs to happen um to to get a get a decide to choose a decisive instrument um i do know of a composer who is who is using the serpent there is a composer who is using the serpent in which is a medieval instrument um to to great effect these days and throat and throat singing as well right uh, which right is not right. normal singing throat singing so so to add different very different feel to 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 their soundtracks yeah yeah um yeah cool no that's uh uh yeah no that's very interesting stuff um so uh, talk about the different types of music that you're that you're kind of thinking about here um the music it's sort of okay the different uh I just wanted to mention the language because there was, yeah. to me, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When, when, when I did, when I composed um, and got a good friend to sing the, uh, the girdle of a million. Yes. Yes. Uh, which is, which is, which is and, and I specifically chose to, to use the Valinorian language. Mm-hmm. Aren't many words in that. Um, so I did, did my best in putting it, putting it together and Marie helped with, with assembling it as well. Um, but my sort of feeling, and I don't know how you feel about this, was sort of the, it's, it's sort of a, 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 a Lewis type idea of we have magic from the dawn of time and deeper mm-hmm. magic from before the dawn of time. And mm-hmm. so that to me resonates with the languages, sort of the older the language, the more powerful magic there is associated with, with that language. And so Valinorian could very well be from before the, the dawn of Arda. Right. And you, um, uh, 
there's a a kind of a corollary, corollary to that in my mind would be that like an invented language would partake of the power of um, the inventor, right? Um, and so it's, mm. it's, it's, it would be interesting to think of um, like the kind of parallel, right, between the ring of power and the black speech, right? The black speech being Sauron's invented language and the, um, mm. the, the, the ring, you know, so like the, you know, just as he's kind of poured himself into one, almost in a sense, right. He's kind of poured himself into mm. the other as well. So I, 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 that would be another kind of interesting sort of way to think about, um, language and, and therefore being able to, um, evoke it. And I mean, obviously that, that seems to be not borne out exactly but that that kind of parallel seems to be suggested in the ring mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the ring incantation itself especially its manifestation in rivendell uh and that sense of the power in the language no one has ever dared to utter that tongue um which is clearly more than just a piece of rudeness right it's it's not mm-hmm. uh, their objections seem to be beyond mere aesthetics right to yeah. uh yeah. hearing the black speech in rivendell um, mm, anyway, mm. Um, I'm not trying to push that reading too far, but again, I think we can see a kind of parallel there, and it might be interesting to think about that because, of course, there's another interesting parallel to that, and that is with the dwarves and Aule, right? As mm. Kuzdul was uh, Aule's invented language, right? So you have um, a kind of parallel there. They're not the same, right? Black speech and Kuzdul are not the same, and the motivations for making them are not the same. Um, but mm. but it's a parallel situation, right? Which would which could also be sort of interesting to explore. Anyway, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. Um, where, where, yeah. Where would you consider Quenya to be in that in in that sort of spectrum? Well, Quen- Arome has a role in the invention of the early Elven languages. Yeah, exactly. And it's fascinating how Tolkien kind of went back and forth on the cause and effect there, right? You know, in some places he's like, well, Quenya was based on. Valian, right? Because like Orme spoke this language mm-hmm. and taught his language to the uh, Quenya, and then they changed it and you know played with mm-hmm. it after mm-hmm. that, and it became their own, and so therefore separate, you know, separated from Valian. Um, but then there later on, he's like, actually no, Orme didn't have any language at all. They just spoke telepathically. The Valar did, mm-hmm. and then he and the mm-hmm. elves invented mm-hmm. Quenya from scratch themselves, and Orme learned their language, and Valian is actually based on Quenya. So I, you know, he kind of went back and forth and thinking about how yeah. those two things. Yeah. Uh, uh, could have been connected but in either but basically in either case Quenya was essentially connected to like the creative power of the elves themselves right mm. but also mm. but unlike the sort of solitary invented languages like one person coming up with the language like Sauron coming up with the black speech yep. um is um is is it's it's a it's a communal language, right? It's like the language of the like. So they invented it, um, or they mm. developed it, one way or the other, right? In both cases, it still is tied to elf culture and elf community, mm. right? That they that their language they made that language into what. That's why Quenya and Sindarin separated, right? Not because, mm. Mm. Um, and this is something that seemed to be like a, a sort of a, an. Imp- a question which Tolkien was sort of addressing sometimes implicitly and sometimes explicitly, right? Which is why should, I mean, we understand why language shifts among humans, right? Like over generations, you know, mm. the, the, these trends continue and then they don't even remember, you know, the 
children in the fifth generation have no idea how their you know great 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 grandparents spoke right mm. and so mm. languages can change radically over time and some would say well yeah but okay but if you say so if you have the one immortal person who's you know people keep mm. their accents after moving to another country for a long time sometimes right so um wouldn't the elf why should the elf languages change why should quenya and cinderin have drifted so far apart yeah it was a long time but it's the same folks right wouldn't they remember mm. how they spoke and why should that happen and tolkien's mm. re- sort of response to that kind of conceptual question about elvish languages was no they did it on purpose right this is this is like it's because they they were creative with like they they love to tinker like they they made aesthetic changes on purpose and and developed them in different directions so that the difference between quenya and cinderin tells you something about how those cultures developed, you know, like in the direction in which those cultures kind of went um, uh, in ways. And mm. uh, in some ways, my ear for language is even worse than my ear for music. So I don't uh, I, I, that that is um, I, I can't hear as much like uh, I feel like you know, Tolkien's ear for language was just phenomenal. Right. So like mm. doubtless mm. that idea was really meaningful for him as far as his stories were concerned, right? Um, not only meaningful, but I bet he felt like he was revealing a lot, right? Like, oh, man, now that I've told them that, it's a dead giveaway, right? You know, where, whereas I, I personally am like, okay. I mean, I, it's, I, I love it as a, as a concept, right? But it doesn't, like, help me understand the difference mm. between, you know, like, uh, Sindar and Noldor culture just by listening to the qualities of their two languages as I... Bet it did in Tolkien's mind, <laughs> right? Mm, um, mm, mm. Uh, but anyway, yes. Yeah. I, I, th- go ahead, go I ahead. think what I'm, I think what is sort of leading to is say, say Finrod when he gets in a pinch, he's 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 confronted with with Sauron. Yes, he's not going to rely on Sindarin language. He's yes. going to rely on Quenya. Like For he's sure. going back to 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 a deeper root of language which has that power i don't consider Sindarin being being a more modern language a split off um I, yeah in just the way that i've sort of put things together i wouldn't consider Sindarin to be language to be have a lot of innate power quenya would have greater greater power for conducting magic anyway that's just how i how i sort of see see it and the noldor agree with you <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The Noldor <laughs> like, agree, right? And so say all of us say the Noldor. But no, I mean, especially it's one way to represent the difference between the Calaquendi and the Moraquendi, right? I mean, we know that like the the elves of the light who were in Valinor and saw the light of the trees um, have a kind of power in them uh, and a kind of power over you know, the orcs and the creatures of darkness that the the elves of the darkness don't have. And so that certainly would seem to, it's not simplistic, right? Um, mm. But it would seem to mm. correlate with the language thing there. I mean, again, you're absolutely right. You're Finrod and you're facing down Sauron. Um, you are going to speak the language and therefore appeal to the entire, like, culture and atmosphere of Valinor itself, right? Where mm. the language went after they were in Valinor, the, the language which still, like, retains the memories of the two, you know, of the, of their time in Valinor in the light of the trees, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's totally the language he's going to, mm. he's going to be mm. singing in, mm. for sure. Yep. Okay. Okay. No, yeah. that's good. Um, yeah, I, 
put up there different types of music because I just was sort of wanted to sort of clearly state the different like the different forms of music that we're dealing with within within an adaptation. So obviously there's there's soundtrack music which appears in in the background. Um, you remember that famous line by uh, when Sean Astin asked in the, uh, She Lobs Lair, where does where does the light come from? Uh, and the director said the same place as the music. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, it, it's it's it, it's there. It's it's in the background. Um, we all hear it. It helps helps to set the the mood um, and to and for us to understand what's happening. Uh, the diegetic music. I straight into that area in the in last season with Harrod. We had a, had a bit of um, music that was just in the marketplace. So diegetic music is the music that happens in a scene, like in Star Wars, the cantina scene. The band right. playing is diegetic music because every Everyone in that scene was listening to that. Um, so that's music really that cool. is actually happening within the frame of the show, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, within the actual scene. Um, so the music. Is so we're going to be getting that. a bunch of diegetic music in 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 season six. Well, well, yes, yes, and no, well, and that's why that's why that's why I put this last category, the songs of magic, because that's what the music is going to be. And the reason I wanted to talk specifically about this is because. Whenever I started to think about, oh yeah, this 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 would work really well, it ends up in my head being like a Broadway musical, right. and I thought, right. <laughs> right. like big orchestra behind them, um, and I think this is going to be something different because, yep, they're 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 not going to arrive just in time with the Welsh Police and the Harry Orchestra, which allows such and such enough time to cross the Alps into Geneva. It's not going to be that situation. I I don't think that orchestra is going to be suitable to back those songs of magic Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's just them and it's just there. This might sort of feed into the instrumentation. Maybe there needs to be some kind of instrumentation. Maybe something uh, quite low, um, which would which would add a a bass note, in right. which the the vocals would come up above that, uh, and possibly some percussion um, in, thro- thrown into the mix as well. Uh, and. And yeah, and and discord as well, particularly when you've got the two warring, uh, like Sauron and Finrod, warring against each other. I think there's got to be, there has to be a significant amount of discord mm-hmm. at a very, very low level. Obviously, they're going to be singing at each other, but I think in terms of instrumentation, it really has to be low down in in in, in the depths, or else very high. Um, and I think that might be the way that we that that we get across that that this this is magic happening. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it really thinking about the back to the good and evil thing, right? I mean, they're going to be a whole bunch of times, especially obviously in episode what six, right or seven? Marie, is it seven? The Sauron conflict one. Six. It is six. Yeah. Okay, six. And is then the seven is when Luthien. Is when Luthien comes in. Okay, actually, yeah, that that's so, the one. Yeah, that's actually the one that I was thinking of. Um, oh, okay, sorry, because yeah, the Finrod duel isn't six. The Finrod duel, right? And but then we get the Luthien duel. But then not only the Luthien duel, we also have to have the. Um, I, we're going to get to this, I think. The the pot of evil, uh, um, thing like the 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 necromancy thing, um, and so there's going to be moments when we're going to be like really going back and forth, not just two characters going back and forth with each other, but even like the scene shifting um, 
uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So no, there's this. Um, it is going to be. It is going to be an interesting challenge, and it's been. I don't know. I mean, I can't think of other times when we've had like no. good versus evil magic, like directly in conflict with each other. Like it's just not mm, a situation yeah. we've really dealt with before. So that's yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I think it'll be really sparse if we just rely on voices. Yeah, and and with with no accompaniment, there has to be something else there. Um, and that was your hesitation when I said we're going to be getting a lot of diegetic music, right? Because the voices may yes. be diegetic music, but presumably there's going to be some accompaniment, which everyone on you know in the frame is not hearing, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it's sort of like that's the feeling. That's the feeling that's happening at that time. The the the, the music, and and as and and yeah, I think that has to be this tells the audience that magic is taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, and so, yes, it's not something that they're hearing with their ears, but it's something that's the, the, that's a feeling it's giving them, give them goosebumps. Their spines tingling because the, the magic is being uh, exchanged between the two antagonists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, Jason Luthien's assault on the tower. It's not a back and forth in the same way that Finrod and, and Sauron's thing is back and forth. But there's we definitely have a confrontation between Luthien and Sauron. So there's definitely going to be some some give and take there, um, magically speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's good. So we might move on to yeah, sort of on actual themes. What? musical themes do we need and yeah i'm happy for people to uh to uh contribute um and get some suggestions these this is this is by no means and this is by no means exhaustive yeah okay so oh i'm glad you had necromancy in the pot of evil because that's what i was just thinking about i mean we clearly need um now are you thinking about are you thinking about anchoring the necromancy theme in sauron's theme specifically or um no and... no i want no namo namo i was that's what i was going to ask or are you going to go with 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 mendos yeah, yeah. okay i think with yeah yep yeah and i think a bastardization of 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 that um i that's don't gorgeous. know that it necessarily has to have sauron's fingerprints on it but mm-hmm. but i would yeah i would base it in namo's theme uh right right from right from the get-go um i wonder I wonder if, well, I don't know if it might come. It, I wouldn't want to like muddy the waters musically. So I like, y- you know, you would be a better judge than I as to whether or not this would work. But I'm thinking of like a through the necromancer theme, right? Mm. Um, so if we, because I'm just thinking like the identity of Sauron as the necromancer is something that's going to kind of linger or at least recur, right, um, over the course of his history. Even though you're right that necromancy, again, my first thought was, does it have its root in the Sauron's theme? And you're right, that doesn't make sense because it doesn't come from Sauron, right? It's a tool that's mm, used by mm. Sauron. And you could even argue potentially it's a it's a thing that acts upon him also, right, that it, uh, it changes him um, perhaps, but nevertheless, mm. the concept of like through the necromancer, right? Even I mean, he even kind of ad- adopts a new name explicitly uh, over the course of. Marie, can you believe? Um, 
I've signed so many NDAs that just before I said that sentence, I had a, I, I actually mentally asked myself, wait, am I allowed to reveal that? Oh, wait, no, that was film film script. I'm allowed to talk about film film script. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm now like inventing <laughs> mental embargoes about talking about film film stuff. Like, I cannot wait until <laughs> this season of season one has dropped and there aren't, and I'm under no embargoes anymore. But anyway, so, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that would be that. I think ridiculous. that's possible. That's definitely possible to to out of out of that out of like starting with Namo, yeah. De- develop develop necromancy, yeah. Develop necromancy and and Thu's theme will come and out then of that. Sort of for, merge it, for, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Come out of that. We'll, we'll definitely end up with a, with a strong Thu theme. Yeah. Thu theme. Okay. Thu, Thu um, theme. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which is hard to say fast or frequently uh, <laughs> without uh, sounding. Okay. Which is why you named That's the right. track through the necromancer. <laughs> And avoid yes, that. that's yes. right. That's yes. right. Yes. And we can come, and that that, that that can we can come back to that in future seasons if we just want to be reminded of of his his uh, his glory times as through the necromancer. Yes. Um even yes. even when he sets up in Dol Guldur, we can absolutely we can bring, that, that you bring that, that. that would yeah exactly absolutely absolutely, and I can imagine that might come in handy in numerous other places. Um, yeah, and of course, um, we should take a moment to think as we so like to do at Silm Film, because at Silm Film we're about nothing if not the long game, right? Um, and that is, we've been talking about the pot of evil as sort of like the um, the alpha trial of the kind of magic that is going to become the ring, you know, the, the, the ring, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the first attempt at what is eventually going to become the ring of power. And so, therefore, we must be mindful of the fact that that necromancy, the necromancy theme and the Thu theme are going to be a base from which the Ring of Power, the One Ring theme, is going to need to be connected later on, right? Yes. Sorry, my cat was distracting me, hopping into my microphone box. (laughs) We're all three of us dealing with pets this evening. (laughs) So totally understandable. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry. Did you repeat that? <laughs> sorry. I was just saying that, of course, since we since we know the pot of evil is um, we've been talking about the pot of evil as like his very first gesture at the mm, kind of mm. thing that's going to become the ring of power. The Thu theme and the necromancy theme are going to be we need to be mindful of the fact that our eventual one ring to rule them all theme is going to need to, you know, be connected, yeah. not like linearly necessarily but or very simply yes. but but so anyway we just need to play be playing the long game and be thinking in yep. terms of because obviously the one ring theme is a thing we're going to want to make a lot of use of uh you mm. know mm. for a great deal of the storyline down the road um and mm. so we mm. want to make sure that we're cognizant of the direction we're headed here with the necromancy yep. theme and the thu theme because it's yep. going to end up being massively important and no, I assume diff- we are intending this to all grow into Howard Shore's theme, which makes use of the mm, mm. four notes. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Yep. So I look, I've been, I've been holding off on that, uh, on that semitone rise, been holding off on that and I'll keep on holding off on that because that to me is quintessential ring. Gotcha. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, Phil. One of the things I loved about talking with you, Philip, is just like yeah. the sentences. Like I've been holding off on that semitone rise. Like that semitone rise is special. And I, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I just, I just, I just love it. I love um, uh, all the things that I learned from you. Okay, so I agree. The ne- necromancy that's huge. That's going to be yeah. a really important theme. Um, yeah. um, who on? Yeah. Um, it makes me ask myself the question, how have we not had a Huan theme? I mean, I know season six is, you know, his, uh, his sort of spotlight season, obviously, yeah. but, uh, I can't believe we never had a Huan theme before. Oh, do you, well, look, do you have they're, any they're, idea they're, about like, it's, I mean, it's, it, 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 I imagine it's going to be related to the Orame theme, right? Mm-hmm. Which I've yet to write. I've got some ideas for Orame, okay. but 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 okay. but, 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 but oh, right. yeah, I, I think we it, didn't I think have an Orame theme because we, no, we had a we bunch did, of the Valar, but we never got him. Okay. Yep, there are still 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 some gaps. So so yeah, I'm still thinking about those. They are necessary. Um, of course, the the Nauglami, I think will be an important to have. Even things like and, and there are other things that we've missed as well. The Ring of Barra here, Narsil, um, even Ringil. I would love that. I would love all of those items to have their own little motif, and it doesn't have to be a full blown right. theme which goes for thirty seconds. It can just be just a series of notes, um, which which whenever they're played, we know that we know that we're talk, we're we're seeing this particular item. Um, it's disappointing that Narsal that 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 Andrew really only got an extension of the Rivendell theme in the movies. Right, that was a bit disappointing. I was I was expecting its own its own theme out of that. Yeah, well, and of course um, we have an extra opportunity that Howard Shore did not have, right? Which is developing a Narsil theme, which can then alter into the Andural theme, right after the yes. forging. And of course, uh, um, you know, obviously in the Lord of the Rings films, it's like Narsil, we barely knew ye, right? And then it's straight into Andural after that. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. so we will have more opportunity. So certainly, I agree. Those certainly, I mean, Ringle's cool, um, but certainly, certainly. So again, long game, right? <laughs> so, um, Narsil and the Ring of Bar here. Yep. Well, yep. Speaking of long game stuff, Ringle is a sword that is reforged. Mm-hmm. So, if you wanted, you could mm. tie the Ringle theme to the Narsil theme, and this becomes the Andoral theme <laughs> if yeah. you wanted to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something for something for that reforging. Um, but once again, that's an ex- expression of of magic. I suppose that's one way that we that that that, that we have been showing that expression of magic. That um, that uh, um, yeah, and we've also got um, a poem that was written by um, Evan on the on the boards, um, and Dylan uh, added to it, um, which is and and it would just be in in the background. It would be sung. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I thought thought I'd just just add the uh, add the poem there as the, as the final version, um, and that would be something like um, Arwen's song that was played during the Houses of Healing. It would just be a song which which is behind the action that is happening. And it's from the point of view of Finrod as well. So it might be sort of be before he leaves, before he leaves Nargothrond, and sung in in part of his considering. With what it, whether he's going to uh, going to assist Baron or not, right, right. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Hang on. So I find I'm still thinking about objects. 
Um, yep. We had an oath theme, didn't we have an oath theme? Yes, yes, we had the oath of oath of Feanor, and I had a little part of that which I wanted to specifically associate with oaths, so that the, the yeah That's the oath of Feanor yeah. was was very much centered on the diezirai the ba da da da, uh, but with an elvish an elvish slant. But there was one bit where the the music goes bum 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 bum, and I felt that was that was in a way it sort of can be there's this. There's this, there's this, and the consequences. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So, so the the ring of Bara here would be associated mm. with oaths too, right? Yes. But very differently, right? And I would think, I mean, this is an oath that ties together elves and men, right? Not all elves and all men, right? But but <clears throat> but it's gonna be so especially since you know, the Ring of Bari here, again, long game, right? The Ring of Bari here mm. is going to be associated with Bari here and then Baron and Finrod. Um, and then it's going to be associated with the line of the faithful in Numenor, right? And then it's going to be eventually, mm. Uh, mm. you know, down to Aragorn who marries Arwen. So there's, um, there's definitely a little, like, elves and humans coming together theme, uh, right? Mm. <laughs> coming together, sticking together, you know, <laughs> getting hitched. Like, there's lots of uh, elf-human connections that are associated uh, loosely, right, with the Ring of Bari here as it goes through. Um, so mm. that might be mm. interesting to kind of see how um, some of those elements could be mixed in a Ring of Bari here motif. I agree, like, you know, probably, like, full-blown, you know, theme songs for all of those items mm, might mm. be too much, but, uh, um, but anyway, but, but it's, you know, the things that are going to be with us for like 15 more seasons, like probably, um, mm, bear, mm. bear thinking about so that we can, we can have, have some, especially since I mean, we've already been talking about like how we, um, um, you know, how we're going to pass things down and especially Narsal has been a challenge. So, um, uh, having some, uh, having some, a musical, uh, uh, hook to hang things on may help us at some point mm, uh, mm, in, mm. In, in sort of conveying and communicating. Um, have, have we actually shown anyone being killed by Narsal by touching it in an unauthorized way? Oh, you mean like Aragorn threatens in? Uh, yeah, in, yeah. yeah. To, to 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 me, to me, that is the magic, the magic in Narsal, and I think it'll be really important if 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 you guys agree that that's one part of of narsal's magic really interesting um yeah yeah because that to me is the only time where we're actually given anything concrete about the power inherent inherent in the sword um so i'd love to see a scene where someone touches it unauthorized and bang that's it they're just i wonder (laughs) see like it's I, i think i've always read that as being power inherent in aragorn uh, as much as in the sword. I mean, he makes a big deal about the lineage of the sword at that moment, right? Mm, mm. Um, also, where did that sheath come from? Because <laughs> that's from uh, Lothlorien, right? Yes. And I would also point out, who's he talking to, right? Um, that mm, is, people mm. who are terrified of Lothlorien and uh, the ma- and elf magic and things like that, right? Um, I think there's a chance yeah. he's bluffing, but I also think there's a chance that this is like an Isildur moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess mm-hmm. not a full like, uh, um, you know, it's 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 not a full paths of the dead generating ex- you know moment right there, right? I mean, it's not an oathbreaker thing where I'm like a whole people is going to be doomed, uh, you know, to a ghostly existence. But does Aragorn have the um, 
the power, the authority to lay a curse on somebody who, you know, takes the mm-hmm. sword. I, you know, Isildur had, you know, his curse packed quite a wallop, right? And yep. uh, even if, even if Aragorn is is, you know, very. Even should Aragorn be judged to be a very junior varsity version of, um, sorry, that's a very American metaphor, but um, uh, mm. you know, to, to be a uh, to be a very um, uh, you know a very very minor version of Isildur. Nevertheless, like the effect is minor compared to you know mm. the cursing of one mm. person mm. compared to the cursing of a whole people. Anyway, yeah, if the uh, if, 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 if the music if the music's going to show what uh, show. A, a detail about an item and the yeah. magic that is inherent in that item, I think it will be important to define what the power of those what items is. Of the, yeah, I agree. Yeah, oh, and Lisa, sorry, yeah, no, Jason yeah. has a great question. So, yeah, sorry, the wine we're referring to is, yes, it's when he weighs at his side before Theoden's Hall, um, and he says, death shall come to any who draws a silder sword apart from, or Elendil's sword apart from Elendil's heir, right? Um, so, so he's, I mean, he's definitely laying down a curse right there. Uh, so the question is, again, where's the juice coming from, right? For, I mean, assuming, mm-hmm. so there are three options, I guess, right? Option number one is he's bluffing, right? <laughs> option number two is he, which is possible, but doesn't seem very like him. Um, option two is um, that the, 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 juice comes from the sword itself like it's part it's one of the qualities of the sword philip as you're suggesting and the third is that it comes from him right his his curse upon mm-hmm. it or maria's according corollary of number two that it might come from the scabbard also right um so it could be could be tied up in the um uh I, the curse could be a, a, also a sort of side effect of the blessing laid upon um the sword from its sheath but so we were hoping to make Narsil the Sword of the Faithful in Numenor, yeah. obviously. Sword of the Faithful. But in the first age, Narsil is specifically designed to fight Blaron ish. Mm-hmm. Um but it's the what, the light of the sun and the moon, right? Yeah, well that's certainly what's associated yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's it's meant to resist domination of will. The way the light resists the darkness, right? That's the inherent nature of Narsil. So the faithfulness is you can stay faithful because you're resisting any temptations to not be faithful, right? It makes the light and darkness thing almost, almost it's almost like a sort of symbolically demonstrating the faithfulness, right? As like it's like a metaphor for the what the what the faithful themselves are doing in Numenor, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we're I think the theme, if there's going to be even, even just like a few notes, but if there's going to be some kind of motif for Narsil, I think that concept of either faithfulness or resisting domination of Mm -hmm. will Mm would be the the heart of it. And that could tie into a curse of if you shouldn't be touching this, it's not Mm -hmm. for you. Like, this is a very faithful sword. <laughs> it likes right. to master nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. The sword shall remain faithful too. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. No, I agree, Marie. I, I, I really like that as a way to conceptualize Narso, especially mm-hmm. if 
Ooh. So here, okay, we're doing all of this like uh, pre-gaming for the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, seasons uh, uh, score uh, here this evening. Um, but of course, with the, with the resistance of domination, it would therefore seem really interesting if the Narsil motif and the One Ring motif, right, were kind of in opposition to each other mm-hmm. in some way, mm-hmm. right? Um, so anyway, so if you could, if you could, if you could convey all that in like a few notes, that'd be awesome, right? Yeah, uh, easy, yeah. easy as, yeah, too easy, yeah, too easy, too easy. <laughs> okay, uh, all right, too easy. Let's try something harder. Release from bondage. I saved that for last um, yep. because, of course, it's the major theme um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. brings us. Re- I mean, I. I Obvious. Okay, I'm gonna say I should stop saying obviously because I just I always get myself in trouble. Um, but it would seem that the full expression of the release from bondage theme is Luthien's song before uh, Namo, right? Um, so, and we're gonna get um, appeals to the release from bondage theme. In other places, right? We get lots of releases from lots of people, you know, many escapes from jail, uh, right, of one kind or another uh, Mm -hmm. over the course of this season. Lots of opportunities to deploy the release from bondage theme, um, both in um, sort of obvious ways. Right, Luthien getting out of Nargothrond, Luthien getting out the treehouse, um, you know, Baron being released from uh, uh, Tol and Garahoth, but also some mm-hmm. less obvious ones like Luthien's song before Morgoth, right? That puts him to sleep. Um, like that play when Luthien puts Karkaroth to sleep, right? At, at, you know, at the beginning. Um, so. Uh, yeah. Anyway, like that's um, uh, mm, mm, mm. there are yeah, lots I of think, opportunities. Think, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be possible to. Obviously, we will talk about that in a, mi- in a minute in more detail. But yeah, I think it'll be possible to 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 weave that to weave that theme into into the rest of the. Uh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, whenever we're talking about slavery and bondage and release, and yep, yeah, yeah. we can we can just go back to that, or at least hint at it mm-hmm. um and i mm-hmm. think yep yeah, yep yeah. so yeah. but i just yeah yeah obviously yes it will be very very closely associated with what luthien is doing throughout the whole se- season mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what she is singing yes yes and that's we got okay no luthien's songs are later okay we'll come back to luthien no let's do luthien now because we're thinking about that now okay so yep. let's let's yep. think about luthien's songs um yep uh so we have sort of a a progression list here, right? Her yes. Song? Yeah. I, Go ahead. Yeah. I see it as being, as being a progression and that, uh, and, and that at, at everything that she sings before that is going to, is like, she's going to add on the, the, the first time she sings is to, is to hear a lawn. The next time she sings is to, is to Huan. I mean, there's the hair growing in between, but that can be something quite, quite different. Um, she sings, sings to Huan. Uh, then she sings to bring down the tower. She sings before Morgoth. So it's sort of like she's building on what has happened before. And there's adding another layer um, of complexity and another layer of emotion as well, and emo- an mm-hmm. emotional depth. Um, 
And the what, what, where I'm going with this is that I think I have said this before. Her song before Mandos right. is, in my eyes, the third theme for the Anal Endelay because yeah. it is going to include the sorrow of the elder and the grief of men. And yeah. they're two themes that I've already written. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is how they're all coming together. But I wanted to have grief as underlying everything because that's that's that 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 is where she ends but she goes through quite a journey to 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 get there um i had conversation on the um on the on on the uh forums about this i i suppose musically musically grief works really well mm-hmm. grief is grief is going to work well and intense sorrow we've already got um um uh, Nienna's theme, which can be brought wow. into this as well. Yeah, I was um, thinking about that. With, yeah, we've and 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 it's it's a really deep emotion. With with Hero Lawn, I hope you guys haven't written the episode yet with 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 Hero Lawn, but musically, I see it as being she's 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 not presenting a logical argument to a tree because it's <laughs> it's a tree right right yeah it's a tree like you cannot logic with a tree or certainly um, the logic of a tree would probably work differently from uh from our logic yeah exactly right yeah. and so my musically i see that as being about emotion mm-hmm. and and the emotion that she is feeling at this point is her grief at grief at being separated from Baron? Yeah. Um, so, so to me, that has to be the main driver at this at this opening point. And eventually, we're also going to get to the point where where when 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 she does go to Mandos, does go to Mandos to sing before Namo, she is essentially dying of grief. Mm-hmm. So we've got that whole concept of the elder being being able to die of right. of of grief of sorrow. Right. right. So I think it's important to get that concept happening like as early as possible. Um and 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 to me the danger with her being imprisoned by by Hirolorn is that she's going to die of grief. Right. And the right. and and the and the tree can actually relate to that because the tree understands about about living and dying and the thing that is going to cause luthien to die is being imprisoned right so the thing that hirolorn can do is to release her mm-hmm. so there 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 yeah there there was conversation about um her being very passive um and I do agree that 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 is something that needs needs to be worked out. Um, but of course, she is very active in in weaving her weaving her hair and growing her hair and weaving her hair. That's a very active active time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but 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 yeah, I I see that as being really important for the music and the music building towards the climax of that um, of that uh, of that song before Namo. Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously we are definitely want to have Luthien's uh, theme built over the course of the season. I, I do think we were hoping with uh, Hirolorn though that her song would um, appeal to a tree having to let the seeds go. Release the so fruit. So that they yes. can go out into mm. the world and grow mm. and be mm. themselves. So it was more of a parent-child relationship 
that we were um, hoping yeah. to evoke there, but her grief at being separated from Baron is why she needs to go out into the world. So that can certainly be an element of it. Um, right. and mm. If we're mm. anticipating mm. the death from grief, we can so, anticipate it. Maybe. What we could there, it sounds to me then, Marie, what you're suggesting is that the song to Hero Lauren and the growing and weaving song should be more intimately connected. Right. That is as an expression of growth. And and again, like the parental mm. thing. Right. Like it's the it's the your kid is growing up, um, you know, parent, you should let them go kind of root concept. Obviously, that's not like a plot point at that moment, but mm. that's kind of it's like the the atmosphere. Am I right, Marie, in what you're in what you're in what you're saying there? Yes, I just didn't want to be focusing too much on death yet. It's a little right. premature in the story. But mm. it's coming, so we can certainly anticipate it in certain ways. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I yeah. I suppose I, I just feel that that yeah. Will will the metaphor be lost on the tree? <laughs> that's 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 my question there, and and really the tree to me sort of it's, it's really much much more baser baser feelings right. and, and 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 emotions um and yeah and yeah considering the trajectory of the music that 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 grief is going to be really really important to show at this early stage and possibly i don't know where where, where is luthien going to like as i said effectively she will die and that's how she goes to the halls of mandos mm-hmm. so do we know where she is going to die like because they, they do come do they come back to minigroth with with his dead body or does she or does she, yet. Um, yeah because because it would it would sort of be a good thing to to actually show Hirolorn has prevented her from dying by releasing her and then the grief that Hirolorn would experience when she dies on the doorstep of like right next to Hirolorn she like she did her utmost to to prevent this from happening and now it's happened right in front of her so that's that that's sort of how how i see those that those those connections and if you needed to connect that that grief you can connect that at the end when she actually does die um oh anyway sorry, sorry i think you're, uh, sorry i i didn't get that marie you were you were adding something sorry. I, okay. I was just gonna say we do have luthien go on the hunt and be present when baron oh. dies so her death will be sometime afterwards. And so if that happens at the base of Herolorn, it would refer back to the original story where Baron dies at the base of Herolorn. I'm I'm kind of liking the base of Herolorn thing, right? It's, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining like, you know, leaves falling from the, you know, the trees around her as she's lying, dying. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. No, the, I love that the- link. And the, and the way the TV shows work, you could probably have him dying, Duran dying right there, like the hunt could bring them right back to the gates and the action happens outside Menegroth because you may not want to want to take the time to actually travel back from his place of death for then for yeah you know how we're like Bilbo only went down into the into the lonely, in, in under the mountain once instead of three times we sort of cut down on those on those actions um because of the the uh, limitations of screen right yeah well we'll see I mean I I assume you know obviously when we get there though we'll work out yep. the logistics of that but but I, the the connection to Hero Lauren I think is a Certainly, a fun thing to to maintain. Um, mm, mm, we would get, mm. as Jason suggests, bonus tragedy points uh, uh, in that uh, in that situation. So I agree there. Um, 
Okay. Cool. So how do you see... I was just suggesting a release from Bondage Connection with Luthien's song before Melkor. Um, how are you imagining that one, especially as a part of this progression? Oh, if I knew what I was going to do, I probably would have written it by now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just kind this of is, thinking conceptually. Yeah. So like, conceptually, right? Um, we've got... Uh, I yeah, think well, I, I think at, I think at that point, um, obviously, we need to uh, before Melkor. That needs to have a little bit of a seductive feel to it because there is an over like a sexual overtone. I was going to raise that in that in I that, in that to, I, I, I wanted to bring that up. Um, um, I think I'm not not going to go I'm not going to go down the striptease road, but I think there needs to be something suggestive. <laughs> in it's probably in, a good plan. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to suddenly go. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Um, no. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, we don't want to be looking for a pole uh, uh, there in Mel- in Morgoth's Hall, but um, no. B- In the end, she is casting him. Um, she's casting him into sleep. In the end, mm. right? Um, and so, um, I think you made the point earlier in a, in another episode about about how, in a, in effect, Morgoth was being released from his bondage for yes. this brief period of time. Yes. So yes. we're still talking about the same theme. Yeah. I mean, there's... Uh, um, I would be... I would be inclined to associate her casting him into sleep. Not as her, like, you know... The dynamic there seems to be not she's, like, deadening his senses or she's, like, uh, you know... Mm. Um, like blinding him or was, you know, like wrapping or whatever. It's, it's more about like, she's giving him rest. He does not rest. Right. I mean, the, the fire of his, uh, anger and pride and resentment and hatred never rests and never lets him rest. Right. Um, so it really is the, what causes him to sleep. Cause this is, not, I mean, Morgoth doesn't take naps a whole lot, right? Like this is not, I mean, this is the fact that he goes to sleep is significant. Right. It's not it's not merely that like he is sleeping at a for him unusual time and place. Right. Like this. That's it's I mean, I'm, I know I'm belaboring an obvious point. But again, the point is sleep is not something he ever does normally. And so she's not merely like singing him some kind of lullaby that makes him unusually sleepy. Right. Um, she's granting him rest of a kind that he never experiences elsewhere. And that seems to me to be a really crucial thing. Um, mm, mm, mm. Uh, I would to, I would uh, see the, yeah. yeah, I would see the, like the, it having a reasonable tempo at the beginning um, to sort of catch his attention. And then it would be slowing down and sort of lulling, lulling him to, to sleep with, with that idea that, that, that you can rest, you can put your troubles aside for, yeah. for, 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 for this short time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason asks, you know, it's, a, it's an act of mercy in some sense. Yeah. I mean, I see it. She doesn't, I think of the 
spell she lays on Karkaroth, right? The oh woe begotten spirit moment, right? And there is there is an obvious element of pity for Karkaroth mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. right? And that she is granting him for a moment rest from his life, which is a horror to himself and others, right? Um, and I do see what she does to Melkor as the same, th- you know, a similar thing on a bigger scale, right? Or at the very least, that I think has to be a really crucial element there. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the other element of it is that she is out of reach and unattainable to him. Yes. So I'm, I know we were joking about, you know, it's not a striptease, but he can't touch her. Right. And, and that's the element we want to keep from that. Um, if you're if you're trying to get that tension in there, it, it's not that he notices that she's pretty. He's really right. not into humans or elves or, you know, that. But he likes to possess things. He likes to possess right. beautiful things and light and things like this. And he can't have her. So that's... I w- yeah, yeah. Very good. I totally agree. And I would think of that more almost like a will-o'-the-wisp sort of situation, right? Like a light that you see that you go towards and never approach or something that looks right at you, but you can't grab, you know, that's like right in front of you, but you can't grab it. That kind of, well, fairy elusiveness, right, um, is, I think, a thing. Uh, there's, there's, There's an element, the fairy dancing element, this is a very Luthien thing, right? You know, the... Uh, the Baron and Luthien story kind of begins with the mythic fairy tale template of the mortal who stumbles into an elf ring and sees elves dancing and when clumsy, uninvited mortal stumbles into the glade or dashes into the glade, they vanish, right? Often with deleterious effects upon said mortal, right? So, I mean, that's the that's the, the kind of root in a sense right of the whole Baron and Luthien story um, which is then premised upon the wholly unexpected and new catastrophic ending of that right which is that she turns and put her puts her hand in his unlike any fairy ever right, pretty much right uh, in uh, in those kinds of stories that same element is there in the Morgoth dancing scene right um, where Morgoth is not a mortal, right, stumbling into a glade. And yet, Marie, just as you say, that same kind of the same kind of inaccessibility, the same kind of distant beauty, distant and desirable beauty that you can't approach, right? Or that you will destroy if you approach or whatever, right? Or it will destroy you if you approach it, right? I mean, that um that that element I think I think is there. I wonder I wonder, Phil. I wonder if it would be permissible to toy with, like, the Silmaril theme um, mm, mm. in conjunction with this. In that, like, because I agree with Marie, his desire towards her is not a um, aren't you a sexy female kind of desire. It's more like his desire for the Silmarils. Um, mm. uh, and he has attained the Silmarils, right, though they burned his hand. He can't 
So he's going to be reaching, like, sort of metaphorically reaching out the hand burned with the Silmaril imprints burned in them, right, uh, to try to reach, but he's not going to be able to reach her. And so again, mm. there's sort of a parallel there between um, Morgoth and Baron seeing Luthien dancing and not being able initially to approach, right? Um, and her running away and vanishing uh, and him chasing after her, trying to find her, right? I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a parallel there. Um, uh, I, obviously, it's not the same, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a concept there. Um, and yes, Jason is reminding us of Varda's light in season one that he wanted to hoard uh, for himself. That's exactly the kind of desire that we're talking about here. That she, I don't know that we would necessarily need to associate Luthien with Varda um, and Varda's light, particularly musically. That might confuse things, perhaps a little musically, but um, that, but that's why I was thinking about the. Um, that's why I was thinking. Uh, um, about the Silmarils, right? It's the, the, rooting that not only are the Silmarils going to be making an appearance on screen, right, uh, in that moment, um, but then also to have that, and that actually might be a really interesting way to work into it, right? Um, to have a Silmaril theme appear because the Silmarils are going to be literally flaring with light um, while Luthien is singing, um, but then also to be kind of weaving that Silmaril notion into Luthien's own. Connecting with Luthien's own themes. Anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is all very, very long-winded of saying what Marie said. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I was originally thinking that I'd do, like, one piece which did the whole continuum, but mm-hmm. I'm just thinking that that throne room scene is going to be so important that I might just do, like, a, like an in-the-beginning track uh, that right. Bear did, but but this one will be in in the throne room it'll in be the, room. the action yeah. the action that happens and we'll hear the interweaving of those of those themes the, and the Silmarils are there Morgoth's there he's got his own theme there's really got to be an interplay between all of those themes so that would be an interesting one to actually this is how the scene would would sound I didn't think before I'm think guessing that Baron might need his own theme this season he's such a principal character see you know it would be almost interesting for baron not to have his own theme. not to okay. okay i i wonder i don't know marie what do you think about that i i i think the most significant thing that baron does this season is fall in love with luthien so if we are using a variation of the theme of elf mortal love that started mm, with andra mm. we could use that for baron yep. or yep. something of the house of bayor theme like I think we can use the established themes mm, for Baron, yeah. and if there's something slightly unique about how it gets put together, that's cool. But sure, I don't think we know specific. This is Baron's theme, yeah, because that's not how he works in a story. Yeah, I mean, Unlike this comes Luthien, who does everything, <laughs> who does everything. Well, this comes but back again Marie... with Luthien. We're doing the Lathian theme, the way of Lathian, from bondage mm, theme, yeah, the and then from letting bondage Luthien theme. play it out. So I kind of feel right. like Baron should get the elf mortal love theme or the house of bayor theme right right exactly well, and it comes back Marie, to what i we were i was talking about last time about baron's uh, uh resume right like that he doesn't actually do it so there there's not a um you know i i don't see a like baron enters the room and you know like baron's theme plays like princess leia's theme uh, you know mm-hmm. in star mm-hmm. wars um he's not that the ironic thing about Baron's character, he is this heroic figure who is the patient of action rather than the agent of action 
the majority of the time, right? I mean, that's it's just kind of how his story with Luthien works. That's why Philip, I was thinking it might be cool for mm-hmm. him not to have his own uh, his own yeah. theme because again, he doesn't. Again, and I'm not trying to. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to diss Baron, but like he doesn't do all that much. I mean, and that I think is it's interesting. I mean, it's mm. uh, even interesting just going back to the whole immortal um, elf, you know, mortal stumbling into an elf clearing idea, right? I mean, he's, um, it's the elf turning and coming to him that matter. He's playing the role that any mortal would play in that situation, right? It's Luthien's turn to him that defines mm-hmm. the story yep. right um yep. uh baron is not um a very it doesn't it's not a very distinguishing element that baron happened to fall in love with the most beautiful woman in the world like that yep. would have happened to many mortals perhaps most in his situation right most mortal men in his situation would probably have fallen in love with her it's the fact that she fell in love with him so again like that's in in, in that sense she's the I don't know, important one, right? Uh, in that sense, I mean, it's a really blunt and crude way of saying it, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's um, fine. And the and the good news at the end, the last one there is that our vocalist Megan Desenzo, who who uh, did the vocals for Luthien, is back on board. She's had a awesome. rough couple of rough couple of years, but she's available now. Um, oh, good to 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 uh, do vocals for Luthien again, which is awesome. Great. <laughs> I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Very cool. Well, let me go back then, having done those. Wait, we do... Okay, great. So these are our last ones, right? Yes, last ones. Um, uh, Let's talk about Dairon um, briefly, because Dairon actually is relatively brief. Um, Yep. We have... uh, um, We do have that one moment that we added, right? That, uh, That song of intercession. Um... And of course, fascinatingly, the like um, meta composition, right? The 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 composing of the overall frame. Um, what are you thinking about for Dairon? How how would you think about doing Dairon? Because it's it's I mean, Dairon is such an interesting character from a musical commission standpoint, right? On the one hand, looked at with your eyes closed, Dairon is a very very minor character, and in any right. other season a character who got as little screen time as Dairon does, we would never have thought of giving like a particular theme or a particularly characteristic musical, musical feel. Right. And yet Mm. at the same time, we're talking about one of the three most famous musicians of all time. Right. You know, the three greatest of all Elvish minstrels. So kind of seems like Mm. doing his music with care is kind of something we should do. Right. So what are your general thoughts about Dairon? How do you handle, you know, the great, the you know the great elvish minstrel among the among the sindar yeah doing him justice is not easy um, <laughs> when he's yeah. up there so high um but look I, I look at him as being fairly fairly non-complex uh he's he's got his own accompaniment like he he's he's got his lyre um mm-hmm. i presume it's a lyre that 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 he plays um so he's got his own backing um it's just him and his musical instrument um, I agree with you. Way... He's totally a liar guy, right? That makes sense yep. to me. He plays the flute also, right? I was say, music of a pipe unseen. There has to be a pipe. There has to be. There <laughs> does have to be a pipe unseen. So we can't have sing be... and pipe at the same time. <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> no, he. he... Uh, the right. lay of Lathian, 
that no. would be a liar. That would be that would be a liar song. No, the piping is yeah. for her for her to dance to, right? So he doesn't have to be yes. singing during that. Um, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, but, but yeah, I seem to be fairly non-complex. One thing, what, what I will sort of need help with is, um, is the song of intercession, the words, um, if we have, if we have a source for that, if someone wants to contribute, uh, that would be fantastic. Um, because I'm not a poet myself. Um, although I did, I did write that Diron song back in about season three, um, words of mockery. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I surprised even myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we'll definitely see we'll definitely see uh, if we can uh, if we can get some uh, some artistic help there with uh, with that song. That would be great. Um, yep. Cool. Now I love your um, pointing out the disguise songs. I agree. That's a that's a really interesting sort of subgenre, right? Of mm. Uh, mm. of songs that were that that we clearly get here. Right. Um, do you see these as actual songs? I suppose that makes a lot of sense. To, I mean, sung Poss- like vocally sung songs, or possibly um, chant chanting in. Mm-hmm. And this is where I brought in the languages question before. Um, I would not a, not a, not a assume that it's in the common speech, but it would be in um, Sindarin or or, or Quenya. Um, right. And it may, and it, it may be that there are variations between Finrods and Luthians, and how they actually how they actually do it. I mean, the languages could be different. I mean, the 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 language for Luthian is Sindarin. The language for Finrod is 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 Quenya. Um, mm-hmm. So they could be very similar, but with different languages. Um, they could also be very similar to her to her hair growing and um, and weaving song because these are very mechanical things that that are happening at the at this moment um with the with the wolfheim um something physical is being is being attached to 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 baron um and and yeah no you're in the same category as the as as the weeding and hair growing song that's great because you're absolutely right the the thinking back to our discussion of the the songs of magic in general those are some of the songs where there is a most clear and most simple mm-hmm. i am singing and by my song causing something to happen in the primary world right um yep. like this um and so in in that way we yeah yeah they are connected that way that's that's cool that's cool um yep. Good, good, and then of yeah. course we we have Finrod and Sauron song battle, which of course we know is one of the obvious musical set. I, there, I, there I am again with obvious, but um, one of the one of the one of the clearly important uh, musical set pieces mm. of mm. the mm. entire season. Um, Finrod and Sauron, the song before Mandos, you know, like that. That's uh, those are those are. The ones he had to come into this to into season six, anticipating right even before the first word was said. So yeah, exactly, exactly, and um, yeah, very daunting. This one is very daunting. This is this this is the one that I was thinking when I was trying to imagine how it would play out. Um, it ended as I said, it ended up going down the path of a Broadway musical, and I had I was sort of had visions of uh, Javert and Jean Valjean singing at each other, which is right. really like I love that song Mm -hmm. um and i wanted to evoke something similar to that in the way that the that the um 
one one of them will come over the top of the other, but the yep. other one will still be singing underneath. Yes. And then yes. the other one will gain dominance and the other one will still continue to sing underneath. So something along those lines, but lacking that whole Broadway feel because we're not, yeah, we're not bringing the orchestra, orchestra in. <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't want exactly that, but, but no, I, I agree. That effect would be really, really cool. Um, uh, yeah, and yeah, obviously the the, the the visuals. If I'm going to produce a video for this, the visuals are going to be important, um, and particularly when with with the visions that each one is giving to the other, um, that is going to be important to show to show visually. Absolutely. Um, so we may need some artwork along those lines. For sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, very cool. There is so much fun stuff that is going to be happening here in season six. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, how you can be involved. There's, uh, there's, you know, Philip has been our core composer all the way through. Um, but certainly, um, we are always looking for folks to be involved. Um, Philip, I know you, you, you are interested in, um, other people potentially taking a crack at some of these, uh, themes and ideas, other composers. Um, of course we always are interested in finding vocalists and, and instrumentalists. Some of the most wonderful, um, musical out, uh, uh, you know, outputs from uh, film film have been those when we've had, mm-hmm. um, you know, people coming in to to perform and to sing together. Um, still, just love the Oath of Fanor song uh, for this reason. It's so good and artists, as you say, uh, tr- translators and artists. So translators to help us with uh, um, with uh, with with lyrics um, in other languages. Artists Philip yep. puts together wonderful videos uh, for the themes and songs that are composed uh, for the season, and so uh, folks who would be interested uh, uh, in in having their visual art uh, displayed uh, with attribution in some of these videos—that's uh, another way, certainly, that you can help out. Yep, yeah, vocalists that will need this season. Um, as I said, I've already voiced Diron. Um, Megan has voiced Luthien, but we are going to need Sauron. We are going to need Finrod. Um, and we're and we're going to need vocalists for that for that poem that is that that will be just a backing song in one yeah. of the scenes. Yeah, awesome, awesome, very good. So yes, you can contact Philip through his YouTube channel. You can uh, uh, and his Twitter there. Um, you can of course go to forums.signumuniversity.org and find the film film forums and get involved in some discussion of the music. There's a sub forum for the music in season six, right? So you go to the film film forums, go to season six and then go to the music uh, section there. Other way yep. around. Other film way around. Darn music, it. season six. Film film music season six. Sorry. Got the, got my, my, uh, my, my hierarchy wrong there. Okay. Very good. Can I just, can I just say, just say one final thing? Yeah. And yeah. that, and that, and that is, I think your rings and realms, you're going to have to change your theme music because your your theme music you chose from the trailer. Howard Shaw went and wrote the main theme. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, we may have to consult with you on that. We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll see. There was some. There's definitely been some uh, some discussion. But I know that uh, our selection from among the uh, the score for how we're deploying the music in Rings and Realms 
uh, has certainly been less well-informed and less scientific than yours. So uh, <laughs> we may have to bring you in as a music consultant here on, uh, on, on, on uh, the Rings and Realms score uh, as well, uh, in which case you would get a credit uh, on our... Um, on our show, which is a YouTube show, and so it doesn't really have credits, but that's exactly and, where. Yeah, yeah. and if, and if Billy Boyd is listening, as he says he does, I've got two words to say: musical collaboration. There you go. There you go. That would be good. We would we would always be welcome to have Billy Boyd uh, uh, sing on one of our soundtrack songs. I think that would be a wonderful addition. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Um, well, Philip, thank you. One last thing that I want to say is thank you so much uh, for this. This has been so much fun. I really, really appreciate your discussion of the Rings of Power soundtrack. That's been really, really helpful for me. Um, and again, just th- this is this is an element of um, you know, the the music has been such a wonderful example of the way that the Film Film Project has been enriched by. Uh, contributors coming in and 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 pitching in. You know, we used to, in, at the beginning of season one, kind of joke about our score and our soundtrack, right? Until you jumped in and started making it happen, um, and the the kinds of. Um, creative additions that that has added. I mean, today's discussion is a really great illustration. Thinking through some, you know, the thinking about the music has really you know, sort of forced me to think about the story in some ways that I would never have really thought about it before. Um, so I just, I'm so appreciative of the dimension that you add to this, as well as uh, always so much enjoy uh, the products of your work. So. I look forward to our next conversation when we get to hear some of the results of this. And I encourage listeners who are uh, who are interested in music uh, or musicians themselves and might want to might want to participate. Um, uh, you can uh, uh, get in contact with Philip. We can uh, we can uh, you know if you are participating in the music, we can maybe bring you into the 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 uh, the the episode when we uh, when we talk about them. We'll see what happens. It would be it would be fun. So um, thanks. Yeah very much for that and um we're my, um, my pleasure as always oh man it is so it is so wonderful philip so um this next season is going to be a challenging one for thursday evenings of course our normal meeting time in real time for those of you who are not listening asynchronously are thursday evenings at 10 p.m and of course the we usually end at about as it is right now about 12 30 a.m um which is a half an hour after the episodes of the Rings of Power are going to be dropping on the East Coast uh, in the next for the next seven weeks. Um, uh, so I'm I'm going to be otherwise involved. It's complicated. The next episode we're going to be doing is going to be discussing the casting criteria. So uh, going through the characters that we need in season six and discussing, and we'll be we'll be joined by Hakan. That's going to be at a special time. Anyway, we haven't set the time yet. So sometime in the month of September, probably in the latter half of the month of September, we're going to do the casting episode and then we'll move on to discuss the next episode. Right. We'll, we'll do episode four um, after that, right. probably in the middle, second, third week, or probably third week um, of October. We're thinking October uh, 20th, the 20th, October 20th, after- right. After you're done doing oh, Rings of Power think, stuff. The first Thursday night on which there is not an episode of the Ring of Power dropping is when we plan to hold the discussion of episode four. Um, so um, that's um, that's what's going to be happening, 
right? So anyway, um, thanks, everybody. And I look forward to so stay tuned. Um, we'll be announcing on social media and stuff um, the uh, the date of the next film film episode, the casting episode when we get that uh, or when we figure that out, I guess I should say. Um, but uh, I will. Uh, that's it. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And I'll say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>